The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager, only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Hopefully, the poison is out, says Chris Ballard. Let me get the poison out. Hasn't gotten out yet. Now, after a week and a half, let's hope that the poison is out already, guys. Welcome to the Blue Stable Podcast. As always, Michael Pivia here, Destin Adams, Rashad McGinnis, always here, happy to talk Colts football. Last time we were here, we were pretty pissed, pretty disappointed. Uh, so kind of let some time go by, but hey, Destin Rashad, how y'all doing? Hey, time time can heal a lot of wounds, man. They really can. I mean, I felt like I was already a little down to earth the last time we recorded on it, but I mean, I'm at the point now. The NFL playoffs is on. Um, the year is over. I'm moving past it. Um, I'm ready to critique the season and uh see how we can fix the Colts. Man, I'm still pissed. To hell with that. First of all, I want to say uh, congratulations on the name change too, Mike. Um, I think that's dope. Uh, I, I respect the piss out that. But um, other than that, I'm still pissed. I am. Uh, it still burns. It still hurts. It still stings. Hopefully, I'll be over it soon. But I am enjoying these playoff games. As y'all know, I'm I have to root for the Rams. I'm obligated to root for the Rams. And hey, it's kind of helped. I think everybody is this week. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Nobody wants to see Tom Brady. Come on. Everybody and their mama is a Rams fan this week. You're good. You're good. 
and and a Bengals fan, right? Oh yeah, I'm sure. Rams and the Bengals <laughs> is, is two teams we support to the fullest. At least at least in Indiana. At least in Indiana, that's the right. case. And the 317 and the 765, it is go Bengals. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So that's how I'm feeling right now, man. But uh I'm ready to recap this season, man, because although the season didn't end how we wanted it to, uh, there still was a lot of good things to take away, and we're gonna get to it. Yeah, I'm I'm really curious how a Green Bay L.A. Rams NFC championship game would be, especially if it would be like 10 degrees. Uh, L.A. teams, you know, cold as it gets is like 65. And this is probably going to be freezing cold. So that's my NFC championship game. Obviously, NFC wildcard weekend was crazy, in my opinion. I mean, uh, Cincinnati, Oakland is always what that was a good game. You got Dallas, you got San Francisco. Uh, That was probably the one of the worst coached games I've seen this year. And I'm even including high school games in that penalties everywhere. And then I went to go watch the scream movie when the Buffalo New England game was going on. So I did not see that ass kicking. But other than that, you know, (laughs) Buccaneers got a mini buy by playing Jalen Hurts. Uh, So. Other than that, guys, you know, we got big games this weekend in the divisional. Unfortunately, we're not going to be in there, but we are going to be talking about this recapping this past season. It is disappointing. It's hard, but we got to talk about it. I'm pretty sure I've let, like Chris Bowd says, let the poison out, but that does not mean that there's still issues don't reside. That's not what it means. So, guys, let's jump into it. 2021 season has come and gone. The Colts finished Nine in eight second in the AFC. So this makes it what? How many years without an AFC South division title? About what? Seven, eight, 2014. 2014. 2014. Last one. So seven. Seven. Yeah. 2014. Last last time. Seven years. Seven years. Wow. 2022. It's uh. And just to, just to make sure, make it sound worse, every single team in the AFC South has won an AFC South championship in that time frame. Every single other team, the Texans, yep. the Texans have won it four times. The Jags have won it once, and the Titans have won it twice. All since the Colts last won the AFC South. Yeah, we remember when Jacksonville won. When uh, Jalen Ramsey said, "We're gonna beat." <laughs> they were supposed to beat Tom Brady in. Uh... AFC Championship, I believe. I mean, and Ramsey got smacked. He put his foot in his mouth. I think when you're recapping the season, that's one of the things that just need to stand out. That is that the Colts yet again. I mean, obviously we're not in the playoffs, so obviously we didn't win the AFC South. Um, But if that's not the first goal every single season until you win one again then you're doing it wrong. I mean, everyone wants to win the Super Bowl. Everyone wants to make it to the – or wants to represent their conference. So you want to win the AFC. You want to win the NFC no no matter where you are. Um, But for the Colts, it has to start with winning the AFC South. Um, And and they've been competitive in it. I mean, how many of those years do you think we've finished in second? Mm, I want to say at least more than half probably. So in that seven-year time frame – the Colts Five have times. been second four of those seven, okay. and they have never been last in that in that reign. Mm, that's wow! Interesting stat. Even that's in interesting 2017, stat. even in 2017, the, wow. the, the both teams finished four and twelve, the Texans and the Colts, 
and the Colts had the tiebreaker. Um, so the Colts finished in third. The Colts have not finished in fourth in that time frame, and they've been second four of those seven years. And look, I mean, the AFC South, uh, as I'm, I'm not too high on division championships, but they do get you a home playoff game. More than likely, you're probably a good team if you're like the number two or one seed. It, it's, it is important. I'm not too big on it, but in the world of the NFL, it is important and it is significant. It's something that the Colts have fallen short too many times. So talking about the first segment of this show, guys, getting into, you know, who, who met or even exceeded expectations on this team. I guess I'll, uh, I'll go first. Who exceeded expectations on this team? I'll go, I'll go with Isaiah Rogers. I'll go with Isaiah Rogers. You know, he was a guy I highlighted on the defense. Uh, clearly as a guy before the season, I highlighted to, you know, keep an eye on. I want to see where he develops because, of course, with James Rowe coming in, I was always excited about that move. He exceeded expectations. I could go rock, but with Isaiah Rogers, what he was brought here to be, the expectations for him skyrocketed after this season. So, what, I think he had, like, seven pass breakups, in my opinion. Obviously, the game interception, great interception against uh, Oakland and uh, Las Vegas. Sorry, uh, Las Vegas. And he, he was just good all around in man coverage, zone coverage. He was great, and he ex- exceeded my expectations really well. Hey, he ended the year with three picks as well. I mean, seven pass breakups. Um, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but, I mean, solid year all around for a guy that is playing on the outside when he was just never drafted um, to do that. And um, we've said that a few times on this podcast, but, I mean, you can never say it enough for the amount that he has exceeded expectations. I think in just in general, you can just say the corners in general um, mm-hmm. pl- overplayed their expectations. I mean, you mentioned Brock. Um, this was a make-or-break year in a lot of people's minds for Rocky Sin. Um, fans, media members, I mean, it felt like everybody when they were going into the season, it was, is, is Rock going to make the roster um, come training camp? If that, that was the headline in training camp. And, and let alone did he make the roster, um, he went out and he overall this entire season was the best quarter on this team. Yeah, man, Rock uh, Ascension was, was key and a very pivotal point uh, in the success of, of, that the defense did have. Uh, Rock was that alpha dog corner for us. Uh, more on that role later that I'll be getting to. But Rock definitely played above what everyone was expecting. He exceeded expectations, and he lived up to you know his high draft his high draft pick being early second round. That's a guy you expect to come in and be a starter. Uh, I know when Dustin probably Mike also as well. When y'all make y'all draft grades and y'all give guys second round second round grades, that's guys y'all expect to come in and, and be a starter. You know and and have success in this league. Maybe not Pro Bowl guys. And, but the guys that come in and, and get the job done and, and fill their role. And that's what Rock did. He finally lived up to his billing. And I, I always knew once he started to trust his technique and stop panicking, start just trusting in his ability, he'd be okay, you know. And he's playing with a lot more confidence now, and that's great for us. The next uh-huh. one, I think that I'll go the next one for who outplayed their expectation. Um, I, I'm going to go – and say that I think Michael Pittman, I mean, I think for me coming into the year, this was a big year for me to know who I think Michael Pittman could be. I mean, if you were listening to us in the offseason, uh, Michael liked to make my critiques way more than they were 
But I did have critiques, and it was just a certain, can Pittman be that number one guy right now? Because that's certainly what the Colts were asking him to be this year. You basically um, said they, he sucked, okay? So like I said, uh, that's a prime example of Mike. Uh, Guys, don't even go what back I said to the episodes. Going. He said he sucks. He's more of a TikTok guy more than a football player. He can't Whoa. even he, – he fumbles his baby trying to get him into the truck. So I think you're hey. talking about Isaac Rochelle. Oh, don't need oh so keep talking so so, but I I think for me being a guy who really wanted to see what Pittman could do this year I think he outplayed my expectations I think for the most part he came out and with a poor receiver room was able to be that guy um, was still able to put up productive games without a Robin to help him really at all T.Y. had flashes um, but for the most part it was Pittman against the world um, against DBs this year Um, and Pittman went out he had over a thousand yards the end of the year with a thousand eighty two his first a thousand yard season Um, so I mean Pittman has a bright, bright future, and I'm super excited to see this guy. And I definitely think he has receiver one potential when I did have some questions coming into the year. Go ahead, Mike. I'm going to let you talk about your boy, man, real quick. Hey, man, I don't I don't need to talk about him, man. You take the floor. I mean, I, I had my expectations. He met my expectations for year two. Hell, even he even improved as a run blocker, in my opinion, because going back and watching, I think – well, I'm done with my season evaluation already. I watched, I think, like 12, 12 out of 17 games. Obviously, I didn't need to watch either of the Texans games or anything like that. But, Michael, I mean, good run blocker. Separation is going to get more consistent as he grows and uh, keeps on working and getting in the lab in the offseason, working, staying healthy, staying in shape. And he does a very good job of keeping his body up to par. So I don't really need to harp on it too much, man. He's you met my expectations. Michael Pittman, man, uh, showed this year he was a stud. He showed how diverse how diverse his route tree is. Um, he's running every kind of route that you can expect. Uh, slant routes, drag routes, curls, backside digs, post fades. He, he caught a little bit of everything. When I was looking back over the season, I saw him literally run every route in the route tree. And... He's just he's just a good guy, man. Like a good, hardworking guy that you gotta root for because he's not no prima donna USC guy. He's a physical guy. He gets that from his father. His father was a really physical back in the league. Michael Pittman, he exceeded my expectations. I always knew he'd get to this point. I thought it would be a year later. It happened to be a year earlier. So I'm ecstatic for that. I think he showed everybody that he can be a true number one. And now it's up to finding him a running mate because it was too much of a drop-off between him and the number two receiver on the team. But Michael Pittman definitely took a step up. I would like to see him uh, improve a little bit more in the consistency department. We saw him have moments and games for a couple of stretches where his production went down and it wasn't because he wasn't being targeted. It was because sometimes he can disappear out there, you know, and you have something to say, Mike? No, I, I was I was just going to say what I do want to note, and I kind of forgot about it during the season, but going back and watching these games, Michael Pittman faced some strong secondaries this year. He faced mm-hmm. some strong secondaries. I mean, even starting from Seattle, Quandre Diggs and those boys, and then you go to week two, Jalen Ramsey. We all saw that chirping John. I think he cat, caught like – He traveled. Five, he, Ramsey traveled balls. with yeah. Pittman, and he Ramsey doesn't always Pittman. travel. No. He faced J.C. Jackson. Obviously, that was a run-heavy game. The unfortunate bullshit uh, 
ejection, but he faced a strong secondary almost every week, and he kept performing. Even in week three, Xavier Howard and uh, Byron Jones, he faced some strong ones, and because of that, man, he, he did uh, he did play out the way I hoped he did. But with um, Rashad, I mean, your guy or position that exceeded expectations. Uh, man, I'm going to go right through the front door on this one. Uh, it's Jonathan Taylor. Uh, I expected him to be a stud. We knew what he was. We saw the way he ended last year, his rookie year. But I don't, I don't know if anybody had him leading the league in rushing this year with 1,800 yards, 18 touchdowns. He had over 300 yards in the, in the receiving game. I think he took a step there, uh, scored a couple of touchdowns. His pass blocking was phenomenal. You know, we saw a couple of highlight blocks from him on guys uh, running that was that was blitzing. Um, Jonathan Taylor, man, he is a weapon. I think he put the league on notice as a whole this year. A guy that was getting MVP consideration, you know, through the latter half of the season before uh, the coach just decided to just quit on the year. But Jonathan Taylor, man, he he was phenomenal this season. Some of the games that he had, monster games. Uh, the game out in Buffalo, of course, sticks out in everybody's mind. He shouldered this offense. He carried this offense for stretches of the season. When, when he wasn't getting a passing attack that was contributing much, he was the guy that put this offense on his shoulders and say, we're going to go get this. We're going to do this. And this ain't the same offensive line that he had last year, but it, he did a damn good job making the most out of his opportunities this year, man. And some people who heard Rashad say all the things about Taylor, um, they had this toxic thought in their head where, well, Derrick Henry was out this year. Can we just uh, draw, just make a rule um, that you do not have to talk about another player when you're just right. Like you do not have to bring a player down to talk up another player. Like you don't. Um, did Jonathan Taylor lead the league in rushing? Yes. Was Derrick Henry hurt this year? Yes. Like <sighs> everyone knows these two things. Like they don't have to be, they, they don't have to be something that has to be said when a conversation's met. Like it, I started muting the word Derrick Henry just so I didn't have to see it this year because people were just so mm -hmm. upset about it. And I, I just wish people could give somebody their props without having to put the little asterisks in there all the time. You know, like it, it happens. Injuries are a part of the game. It happens every year. Um, Jerry Rice didn't lead the league in receiving every single year. Was he still the best receiver? Yes. It's okay. <laughs> right. Like, it's pe like people can just get over it, get past it. Now that rants out of the way, Taylor's a stud. Yeah. He's a stud. Um, the offensive line took a step back this year, and we'll talk about that more in a second. Um, but Taylor still went out there and just produced. Um, led the league in yards after contact. Led the league in yards um, by a solid margin. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I want to say he um, – Joe Mixon was second in the league, and I want to say he was in the 1,200, 1,300 round. 1,300, yeah. So mm -hmm. about 500 yards <laughs> extra um, Taylor had. So, I mean, that's – Four, three or four games um, lead on most guys this year, man. I mean, he's a stud. Um, he, I mean, I thought he was going to be a stud like Rashad said, and he he went out there year two and just put the world on notice. Um, uh, going into this year, I was like, yeah, I think he's a top five running back. Now he's a top five running back lock. Um, if you have Tom, if you have Jonathan Taylor outside of your top five running backs, you're trying too hard. Like that, like that's wow. where you are now with Jonathan Taylor. Good what stuff. about Derrick Henry? <laughs> <laughs> Derrick Henry is still a top five running back. 
Absolutely, man. I mean, here's my thing. I don't get into it too much unless it's just a delusional, ignorant Titans fan. But three weeks after he got injured, he still led the league in carries, which is ridiculous. He was like, on pace to shatter the to carries. Shatter. Yeah. And there and there was an extra game. So like I understand that's yeah. like that's a, that goes into involved as well. But the last time I checked, I think when he went down injury wise, he was gonna break the carries number by like 70. <laughs> Not good, man. Not good. And I think he was still going to fall short of 2000 rushing yards. So that's pretty embarrassing. But uh, before we get out of here and getting to into some players or areas that did not meet expectations, I just have one thing. Jonathan Taylor, you are great. You're special. But I refuse to become the damn Titans. OK, no more. Will you see 1700 rushing yards? Enjoy it because you're not going to see it again. Now it's going to be 1,200, 1,100. Eight, eight, because 11, we need to, if we're, we're going to give him his due. Eight, okay, 1811. 18, Enjoy it. Because now you win championships by throwing the football. So now on it needs to be 1,100, 1,200, 1,300. Enough of this. I, I refuse to be the damn Titans, okay? Now, getting into guys, areas, positions that did not meet expectations and the biggest one that I saw during my evaluation the offensive line. I can't even go one specific, but the offensive line. I think they had some good moments. If I had to give an award to one of them who was the best, who was more consistent, I'd say Mark Glowinski was the yep. best, yep. more more consistent. He didn't give up too many pressures. He was excellent in the run game. Braden Smith had, had, had a, I think going back, he had a good year, but the drop-off at the end of the year was just, Horrid. After get, it was after getting paid. After getting paid, I still think he had a good one. But Braden Smith, the last two, three games of the season, horrible, horrible. The first game of the season. I don't even need to get into fucking Eric Fisher. Fuck him. I don't even need to get into him. <laughs> Quentin Nelson dealing with the injury and everything. Did some of that have to do with it? Maybe back foot, whatever the case may be. He gave up, I think, two sacks against a no name off the Jacksonville Jaguars. Like that, if you're that guy, you can't let that happen. And now we're about to give you premium left tackle money for you to be at left guard. I mean, it, it just didn't meet expectations. Ryan Kelly, of course, we're praying for you still. Sorry for the tragedy. Um, I think he was probably my number two guy behind Mark Glowinski because, I mean, the offensive line got beat too many times when it, and I'll give them this in run game when it was predictable that we're going to run it, they stepped up. But when it came to pass, you, we always say, you know, sacks, that stat is a lineman and quarterback stat. Some of it what wasn't all Carson Wentz holding on to the ball long. These guys just got their ass beat way too many times in way too many big moments. So that's going to be my area. I do want to give credit to Mark Lewinsky and even Chris Reed, who stepped in, Matt Pryor, go frogs, uh, who stepped in at right tackle, right guard, left tackle, and performed pretty well in all those spots. So I was saying, uh, even talking about that, it's like you have to give Chris Ballard a little bit of a round of applause because he said he was going to get the depth in the offensive line fixed and he went out and did it. I mean, prior solid depth tackle who can also play the guard spots. Pinter um, filled in at center this year and was solid. Chris Reed could start at guard anywhere he wanted, probably. Um, Chris Reed, Chris Reed is a really good guard in this in the league. Um, and 
the real drop off and sad part is the starters didn't really play up to their level. Um, I think some of it could have been, could have been some injury issues. And I think Ryan Kelly, if you took off the first three weeks of the year, was right up there with Glowinski, um, how solid and consistent he was. Um, obviously, he had to miss two games because of a just out-of-this-world type of incident that occurred for him and his wife. But um, when he was on the field after those first three weeks that were rough, those first three weeks for Ryan Kelly, um, and I'll say Braden Smith as well. Braden Smith was more like the first two. Um, but, but that first three-week whelm for Ryan Kelly was really rough. He, he got it together. Um Quentin Nelson just didn't look like himself a lot this year. I don't know if it was the back. I don't know if it was the foot. He was going through a lot of stuff. I think it'll all be end up being fine in the long run. But, I mean, it wasn't a Quentin Nelson type year. When you when you become that kind of figure, uh, that kind of position, I mean, you're a guard in the NFL and every fan knows your name. Like, that's who Quentin Nelson is. And he Quentin probably Nelson, got – he probably – sorry to cut you off, but he probably got second-team All-Pro because of his name. I don't even think he was legitimately an All-Pro. He definitely got the Pro Bowl because of his name because there's guards that outplayed him this year. Right. Um, and the Colts, um, there's some other guys that got on there for other reasons. But the offensive line has to be better next year. They know it. I mean, they're they're probably one of the most self-aware guy, group of guys on this roster. Um, I, I can't imagine that they aren't looking at their play this year and they're content with what they saw. Um, it'll, it'll be better next year. I think it'll be way back up to par. Um, and um, we will have a left tackle, hopefully, who's competent for the entire year. Um, Eric Fisher, again, I mean, he's he, Colts fans gave him a tough time this year. Um, coming off a torn Achilles, man, that, that injury is no joke. The Colts played with fire this year, um, brought three guys off torn Achilles in the previous year on the roster. Dio was a little slow at first, but he, he started to get some pressures. Um, Eric Fisher, I mean – a lot of his issues this year were off speed rushers and that, that's where that's going to hurt you is with the Achilles. So I do want to mention in his effect, his account, he was rushed back a bit um, on his recovery from Achilles. He tore in January. He tore his Achilles in January, um, was back out here. Um, did, he start, did, he, did he start week three? It was week three. Yeah. Started week three. I mean, it was a rough September. year. If you're going to be on the field, you, you have a certain standard you have to meet. He didn't meet it. But I do think it's worth noting that he was going through some things. But yeah. get a left tackle out there that's consistent next year. Um, get these guys all healthy. Um, the Colts offensive line is not an issue um, going forward. Um, they did not meet expectations this year. Uh, the offensive line, as far as it goes, I think you guys touched on a lot of the, the things that, that went wrong with it. So, I just want the people to know I agree entirely with what you guys just said. I'm just going to give it a different perspective because no need to reiterate the same point three times. Uh, the offensive line was okay. was pretty good in the run game. I do want to talk about it from that aspect. Um, Braden Smith, I think he finished top 10 in PFF and run blockers, run blocking great. I think he was one of the better run blocking offensive tackles in the NFL. Um, Glow was pretty glow was pretty solid. Ryan Kelly, who, who's a guy I worry about from time to time. He moves well, but he's not the strongest guy. But he was a pretty good run blocker this year. Uh, Quinn Nelson is is Quinn Nelson. And Eric Fisher, I think, was surprisingly a, a plus run a run blocker this year. Um, he was great in space. Got his hands on guys. The pass blocking was just so bad from him at times, and. 
you know, as a tackle, it only takes one or two plays that could just change the game, you know, and some of the sacks and some of the sacks that was forced fumbles that caused turnovers that directly, like the Tampa Bay game immediately comes to mind. You know, you're in the red zone, you're, you're about to go up 17 points potentially and, you know, sack fumble, and it just changed, totally changed the momentum of the game when Shaq Barrett uh, stripped Carson Wentz. So, you know, it's, it's plays like that. Like, you can block, you can have 75 good snaps, good reps, but that 76 one, if, if somebody beats you bad and it leads to a turnover, a game-changing play, you had a terrible game. I mean, that's just the nature of the beast, and especially when the Colts are known for having a great offensive line. And that's how I can tell by most people that don't watch the Colts, especially when it comes to national media, when they always refer to this top-notch offensive line that Carson Wentz has protecting him, when it wasn't like that at all this season. Traditionally, it has been for the last three years or so, but it, it, it just didn't look like the same group of guys. And we know it was due to several injuries, personal uh, things that the team was going through, COVID situations. It was a lot of things that went into why the offensive line didn't perform that way. Like Dustin said earlier, I'm not worried about this group. This is actually one of the stronger groups on the team, and, and I expect them to rebound and, and have a, a, a way better season next season. If we do bring Eric Fisher back, I think it's imperative that we draft a guy that's going to come up behind him, and he's going to be able to develop and learn behind Eric Fisher. And, and I'll be all for that. Maybe Fisher's better in year two, a, a year removed from the Achilles surgery. And, and we'd be developing a guy that just in case Eric Fisher can't get it done, it's a guy that's waiting in the wing and prepared to play. To, uh, so, to, quote, to quote a guy real quick, and then you can go, Michael. Uh, to quote a guy that I talked to an offensive line coach a couple of years ago during the draft cycle, and I'm talking about one of his players that was in the draft. I won't say names um, just because I haven't asked permission to say the quote. Uh, but he, he basically said that when, when you're looking at offensive linemen, when you're coaching offensive linemen, you do not want to hear that guy's name during the game. Like that, like that is, that's what it is. Like when it comes down to how bad Eric Fisher was in the past game, I mean, because he really was a good run blocker, um, but it's just tough because when you have to hear his name so often creating these big plays, it's just a negative. It's changing the momentum and momentum is one of the most important things that people don't talk about in football. Uh, momentum kills you. Momentum will win you games at times. And that's the thing that prior did at times, to fill in for Fisher is you didn't have to hear Pryor's name much when he was filling in. Um, he wasn't a Davenport. He wasn't a Fisher. Um, when Pryor was on the field, you wouldn't even know he was on the field because commentators really weren't saying his name. TCU! TCU! Yeah, I got to give my boy props, man. So, Dustin, um, <laughs> where are you going to go with someone or a position in need that did not meet expectations? Uh, I'm going to go... A few. I mean, I'm going to go the name that I'm going to say might shock some people. Um, yeah. And the defensive line in general is what I'm going to say. Ah, the de- the defensive on, line. They, those didn't have any expectations to begin oh, with. But they, ha- they had one and they just still didn't hit it. Um, but the, the guy's name <laughs> who comes to mind that I still think pl- played lower than his expectation is DeForest Buckner. And DeFore, Buckner had a lot of double teams. He even had triple teams at times. And I get it. But he had that last year. And at the rate this past year, like there was just so many snaps where he was just made a non-factor. And when you had so many young guys on this defensive line and you had such, like you said, like coming into the year was a questionable group. When that's the case, you cannot be taken out of games when you're an all pro type guy like DeForest Buckner. And he was at times this year. He still led the team in sacks. Um, he, he led the team in sacks with seven. 
um, which is a sad stat to talk about, but seven sacks led the Colts. Uh, but um, I mean, he still led the team in sacks, but I mean, it didn't feel like a DeForest Buckner type year. He didn't make an all pro team. And I think it, I think it was the right call. He made the pro bowl um, as a lot, multiple Colts did. I thought he um, was second team all pro. DeForest Buckner didn't make an all pro this year. Who were the second teams then? Um, Ashton, du- Ashton Doolin and, and Quentin Nelson. Slater. No, I'm talking about defensive tackles. I know Jeffrey. I know Jeffrey Simmons was one of them. I'll find and, it. And Jeffrey Simmons is a stud. I mean, I know Dude, we don't want to talk that, about Titans p- players. That he's honestly, that pissed me off. When we traded back, we passed up on Montez Sweat, and I wanted Jeffrey Simmons because without that uh, Achilles injury he suffered in Mississippi State, he was going to be a top 10 pick. And then that injury came and he dropped. I wanted him so bad. He was uh, Chris, so disruptive. Chris, Chris Jones and Jeffrey Simmons. Okay. Oh, Chris Jones. Okay. I can't argue. And then, Aaron, and then Aaron and Aaron Donald and Hayward were first team, right? One of those guys you don't even need to mention, you know. He's, he's, he's a lock. Just, he, he's yeah. just there. Right, he was right. unanimous. But, yeah, uh, but, but in general, I, I'm just saying, I, I think DeForest Buckner was left off the all-pro team, and I think it was the right call. I think I mean, and the guys around him had to do with it. Um, but when you know the room is going to be like that, you just can't get taken out of games. And he did this year. And I think par- partial of the defense struggling up and down, up and down times this year had to do with the lack of rush and the lack of – pressure um, from guys like DeForest Buckner, who's the only notable name you have as a pass rusher on the team this past year. Quiddy Pay had a solid year as a rookie. Like I'm not trying to take away from what he did as a rookie, but Buckner's got to be better than that. And I think next year he knows that. And I think there's going to be some guys added um, to give him some help, um, but Buckner still didn't play up to par. So I'll give, I'll give a little pushback. Okay. Because I don't agree with that. The pushback that I'll give is because last year you had guys that defensive coordinators would plan for Danico Autry and Justin Houston. You had those vets. And that's the only area that I'll, I'll push back on you. You are right. He was taken out of games. He was overpowered at times Um, in the Jacksonville game. He had that knee issue, non uh, he was irrelevant, but this year it, I mean, I can't fault him for that because he was the only guy on the defensive line that was being game planned for. And we'll get into this later, but Dio Quiddy, I'm not going to really talk about them. I'm going to talk about them in a rookie um, in the sense of a rookie, because they showed development. They showed that stuff. And it's unfair for us to put these world expectations on their shoulders when they just stepped into the league. I can't do that. Um, So when there's no one else to help, when there's no one else to get consistent pressure, I mean, if Justin Houston or Danico Autry weren't fast, they could at least bull rush. That's at least what they could do. And that, that those were people that you could send some double teams across. I didn't see any double teams on Pay. I didn't see any on Al-Qadim Muhammad, anyone. I saw double and triple teams on DeForest Buckner. So I'll only push back in that sense. You're all, you, you are right still. He didn't deserve all pro. Other guys had better years like Chris Jones, but he also has Frank Clark on his team helping out with those, you know, relieving of some double teams. So I'll only push back in that sense. Uh, I agree. I agree with Mike um, on this one. I agree with Dustin as well, as far as if you're going to be an all pro, if you're going to be paid like a top three defensive tackle, you know, I know it's not the ideal situation to be in when you're the only dominant guy on the line and the only guy that that has produced in the NFL before, really, you know, but 
it's a heavy hat, but you have to wear it. You know, that's why you make 20 plus million dollars a year. You're expected to produce no matter what the situation is. Um, if we're going to put you up there with the guys, like we mentioned earlier, that the Aaron Donalds and the Chris Jones, Jeffrey Simmons, Cameron Haywood, you know, those guys produce. Now, granted, those guys do have a lot more help, but I mean, it, you're still expected to produce. I mean, the first Buckner finished with 10 quarterback hits. I think that's seven, seventh, ranked seventh among all defensive tackles in the NFL. Uh, it, it wasn't a bad year, but it just wasn't the elite all pro season like he just had the year prior. But like Mike said, you can credit a lot of that to Danico Autry and Justin Houston being on the line, getting some of that attention. Although those guys were older and slower and the coach wanted to move in a faster, younger direction, those guys still demanded attention. So I guess I get into my um, guy that didn't play up to expectations. And I'm not going to pinpoint one single guy. I'm going to call out just the number two receiver spot as a whole. Um no matter who you want to put this on, if you want to put it on T.Y. Hilton, a guy that a coach legend, absolute model citizen, been a model uh, player, you know, a leader in the locker room. He just don't I don't want to say don't have it. He's just not a number two wide receiver at this point in his career, in my opinion. Uh, Zach Pascoe, a guy we've seen take a step back, who has been consistent. Uh, he came into the season having two straight, I, I believe, 600-yard seasons with seven touchdowns each. Uh, he fell off a cliff this year. Paris Campbell, a guy who they had big expectations for, uh, unfortunately, met the injury bug again. Uh, so I'm going to just say these guys as a collective. Um, Michael Pittman was consistently – drawing the attention of the secondary, being game plan, being game plan to be taken out of games. And it was no one else that that Carson could go with to with the ball. Mo Alley Cox, uh, Jack Doyle, those guys was his legit second best option in this offense at times. And that just can't be, man. For the passing game to succeed, you need at least two reliable guys. We had one and I don't know how you guys feel about the second wide receiver spot as a whole, but to me, it was by far the biggest disappointment on this offense, even even worse than the offensive line, in my opinion. Cut all their asses. Just cut them. Just cut them. I mean, goodness gracious. Uh, Ashton yeah. Duel on receiver, too. Uh, uh, great. No, fuck you. Just, okay, just, so just, anyways. Just no, kidding. No, but... uh, no. Uh, Ashton Doolin, if he continues to develop, I'll take him maybe as a four or five if that – well, the issue, the issue is all these guys are talent-wise receiver four, five, and sixes right. playing receiver two and threes. And that's not exactly. their fault. That's the Colts' fault. Like, it's just the build of the receiver room, and they're being forced into those roles. So Absolutely. they look worse than they are um, because they're having to play up to standards. But, I mean, when your second receiver – Ends the year with 384 yards, bro. Uh, that's, un- oh that's unacceptable. 384. Do you know? Dude. Do you know? Who, do you know who had more yards than any receiver not named Michael Pittman on the Colts this year? Henry Ruggs, and and he uh, got cut week eight. Wow, bro. I think if you took off, I, I think I, I credit this information to Kevin Bowen. Um, if you Kevin if Bowen. you take off every single team's number one leading receiver and you rank the rest of the wide receivers room, I think the Colts ended last. I wouldn't be surprised with that. Either, either that or bottom three. 
That is pathetic. That is pathetic. I'm sorry. That is embarrassing. That is right. oh Jesus. That's, That's like uh, a whole it makes four you think, five pack of ass. Like it makes you think that Ballard and the front office and some people really viewed this year as a let's see what we have in this roster. Probably let's see what we have in Carson Wentz because they left so many important holes just ready and let some guys develop, see who's going to be here the next year. I mean, that's all speculation, but right. it just feels like they played a lot of uh, let's see who gets better this year um, to see who gets to stick around the next. Let me ask you guys a quick question. Um, between the both of you, and y'all can do it together, give me five wide receiver rooms that's worth in the coach. I, the Texans. I don't know, man. Brandon Brandon Cooks. Brandon Cooks is good. Brandon really Cooks good. is good. So let's start. <laughs> but there. after Brandon, Brandon, Brandon Cooks. Cooks is, but after Brandon Cooks, I'm talking about like as a whole, put them all together. Yeah, it's it's, it's everybody. I, I think I think Houston is worse. But other than that, I think Jacksonville, Marvin Jones, and uh, Vizca uh, should know. I don't even care for him, dude. Don't even mention his name. I hated him in the draft. Uh. Who else is there? DJ Chark. Oh, uh, yeah, they have, they're better than that. The, they're, the, they're Jag, better. the Jags were not healthy this year. They have. Yeah, made, they weren't. They, they just weren't healthy at receiver. Yeah. They had Marvin Jones, but I, I, I don't think you get five. I'm just going to be honest. I'm going to straight up no, say it. You no know, way. We don't, you're not hitting five. I mean, maybe the Saints this past year, their receiver was the pretty bad. We taking out Michael Thomas. I mean, he wasn't playing this year, so I guess yeah. I've already taken him out. So that's what I was saying. Like, looking at this year, because he wasn't out there, like um, Callaway was number one for them this year. No, without Michael Thomas, the Saints have they have a worse receiving room than the Colts. But if we include Michael Thomas, that instantly moves them right past the Colts. So, I mean, maybe the Eagles? Maybe. Devontae Smith after that? I can't remember who they have. Quez Watkins is better than anyone else we have after Pittman. Quez Watkins. Doesn't I he agree. play for – Philadelphia. 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 Oh yeah. Quez Watkins. Yeah. Oh, I was he, thinking he was like Quentin. he was like the deep threat guy this year. I was thinking of yeah. Quentin Cephas from uh Detroit, my oh, bad. Detroit, but yeah. uh yeah, the guys, it the wide receiver room is bad, and I'll I'll touch on it again here in a little bit. Uh I don't want to give any spoilers for the other you know segments mm-hmm. we have later in the show, but moving on here, we're gonna start evaluating some coaches. Okay, now it's time to get to Frank Reich. I, I don't think we're gonna spend too much time on this but for frank reich i think there were some moments in some games where he definitely should have passed definitely should have uh ran the ball i think his clock management and everything was fine i I didn't have any too many issues with it or anything uh i I don't have too many complaints because again like i said in the last uh show I still think Frank Wright coached Carson Wentz very, very hard. And it was just Carson Wentz's stubbornness that just wouldn't allow himself to be coachable. So all putting all that in a barrel, this scheme, Frank Wright's scheme is designed to make the quarterback better. It is designed to help the quarterback. And the fact that th- there were some good spots, some good games, some questionable games, bad games, it's just not good enough. It's not good enough. So staying on Frank Reich, I I think, uh, I think he gets an A from me for evaluation because he still had somewhat of a good offensive year, still schemed some really good things. Obviously there were some big throws that were missed 
you know, Paris Campbell, Michael Pittman, that one against New England still haunts me. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I still think Frank Reich had a good year. I'll say this. Frank Reich is still the head coach for Destin Adams uh, because I like playing aggressive. I like playing to win at all times, not playing to tie, not playing to lose. I just always want to play to win. Um, I always respect the going forward on fourth and short. Um, I mean, I watched – I want to say it was the Raiders game. No, which game was it in the playoffs already where a guy punted the ball back? Oh, it was it was the Cowboys Niners. Yeah, um, it was the Mike. Cowboys Niners where the Cowboys on fourth and short kicked the field goal um, instead of just going for it when they needed two scores anyway. Well, the 49ers um, could have put the game away too. Remember? And they yeah, punted. That, that, the defense happened to get Kyle, a stop. Because Kyle Shanahan can't get out of his own way. I mean, how he many can. times is Kyle Shanahan going to w- lose a big game going conservative? He just don't close, bro. He's just, bro, he's a great he literally coach, almost lost closer. the game on Saturday or on Sunday against Dallas. He almost he's not a closer, did. bro. But go ahead, Dustin. Uh, but just in general, I mean, I think I, I realized this year even more. I mean, Frank Reich with four different quarterbacks in four seasons kept this Colts offense relevant, kept this Colts office offense creative. And very few head coaches in the NFL could do that with four different quarterbacks in four years. Go find me how many head coaches, offensive-minded, may let you that have had four different quarterbacks in four years. You're not going to find another one. You're not. It's, it's not going to happen because it's that. that's rare. And I understand, like, they, they've found ways to be competitive, but, I mean – Frank Reich, he's going to get a few more passes from me because I'm a Frank Reich guy, and I know I probably have a little bias when it comes to him. Um, I, I love the guy. I, he's the head coach that I want for this football team. Yes. Um, and I'm excited to see what this looks like, hoping this offseason is going to be a little different from years past. Frank Wright, man, I can't say enough good things about him. I'm sorry. This is a pro Frank Wright podcast. Uh, we're not the guys that's going to come in here and bash Frank Wright. There's like no Dustin reason said. to. Four different quarterbacks in four years, and you managed to have a top 10 offense in three of those four seasons. And I believe the one year you wasn't top 10, you probably like top, I think it's top 12 or top 15 or something like that. And um, who was the quarterback? Jacoby Brissett. <laughs> That's all. It's, I just had to get it in there. Absolutely. Uh, Jacoby Brissett. You know, uh, Frank Wright would get an A for me, but I have to deduct points because he was the guy that stood on the table and banged the table for Carson Wentz and for the season to end for Carson to end the way it ended. I have to knock Frank right for that. I have to take points away from him. Other than that, man, he's an outstanding coach. Uh, I love everything he do like Dustin said, as far as the, the way he balances, you know, analytics and just his eyes, you know, with the do in the moment, I think it's great. Frank Wright is a top, five to top 10 offensive mind, the way he schemes guys open, the things he does as far as his play calling, the aggressive nature, like we spoke about earlier. It's so many things. Uh, the, the relationship he has with his players, um, the way he stands on, he, he he's accountable for his actions. He he never backs down. He never throws blame. You know, I'm, I'm a Frank Wright guy. You know, I, I might get that on a t-shirt next podcast. I'm a Frank Wright guy. That's what it might say. You know, uh, Hopefully Frank don't sue me for that for that shirt. But hashtag yeah. I'm a right guy. There you go. Right, uh, there you go. So moving on here to the defensive coordinator Matt Eberflus, which by the way is a finalist for both the Jacksonville Jaguars and Chicago Bears job. He has landed a second interview. Thank the Lord Jesus Christ um, for 
the head coaching positions. Now, if these two sorry ass organizations can hurry up and make their decision pretty quick, that way we can start, you know, navigating the coaching portal here. Uh, that'll be great. So for Matt Eberflus, I would say up until the New York Jets game or after the, up until the New York Jets game, I would have said I would have given Matt Eberflus an F for this season. But after the Jets game, I do have to give him some credit because after the Jets game, it was reported. Frank Reich sat down with Matt Eberflus, didn't go into specifics, but he did say he met with Matt Eberflus to talk about some things he thought could be better. Now, for all you people that think he's too soft, he literally pulled the guy who has the biggest voice in the defensive room and said, this is what needs to be better. So, no, he's not a soft coach. Um, he went a lot of man-to-man, which, I mean, duh, why would you not? Just started dis- disguising a little bit more coverage, just tried to get some stunts in with the defensive line, but your talent is just not there to where those stunts could be executed. So, you know, there's times with the New England game. There was times with the Arizona game, in my opinion. I think that was probably his best coached game of the year, especially, you know, being down Rocky Sin, being down Julian Blackman, being down Darius Leonard, being down a couple more people. You had guys playing around. You had guys playing good in space. Obviously, EJ Speed had the game of his life. And if I had to give Matt Eberflus a grade, I would have to say C because he helped turn the defense around a little bit. But still, six game losing drives. Everybody who I debate on Twitter keeps going offense didn't do this offense didn't do that offense didn't do this offense didn't do that you allowed 34 points to the Tennessee Titans you allowed 38 points to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers you literally let Josh Johnson go off on you the last time he was relevant he was in the XFL you let him do that Trevor Lawrence who was the most pathetic quarterback this year had the game of his life of his pro career against your defense And I'm supposed to hype you up. I'm supposed to say, yeah, the offense is the reason why you guys are struggling. No. You know, a little bit, you know, I'll save that for the later segment, but I've been vocal about it. I want to move on. I want a new way. I want a new change in scheme. I want a new voice. I've just been thinking about who the type of coach. Now, of course, we all know Matt Eberflus was Chris Ballard's hire. He wasn't Josh McDaniel's hire when that staff came together. For Frank Reich, think about the type of coach Frank Reich is. Aggressive. Step on your throat. Everything. Go for it on every fourth and one. You're going for it. You're go- you don't you know. The punter, Rigo, uh, Rigoberto Sanchez, already knows I'm sitting down on fourth and one. Like, I don't even need to get up. I don't need to stretch. I don't need to do any of that. He's aggressive. He needs an aggressive defense. At times, I thought we played too soft. We played too much prevent d what are you preventing a win yeah you're preventing a win all right for yourself because everybody else was getting yards and points so other than that that's really all i have to say about even flus i give him a c but still want to want to see him gone i mean i'll speak on the other side of this i mean I think Eberflus is a very solid defensive-minded coach. Um, I think he knows his stuff. Um, I think when he has the right personnel, his defense won't only succeed, it'll thrive um, in the NFL. I really do. Now, the issue was with me wasn't the type of defense. It wasn't 
um, it was just the fact that he would still call the defense like he had the personnel um, to get to the quarterback in a hurry. And I understand you have higher expectations for your guys, but eventually um, you just have to know your limitations and you have to try to hide them. Um, and you're not going to completely hide a lack of a pass rush. I understand that. Um, but, I mean, we saw at times the going more man-to-man um, worked. It did. It helped the DBs out. It, it hurt quarterbacks' completion ratings even. Now, the issue was that he would go back to the soft zone near the end of the year. I want to say the last four games, um, we saw way more of the soft zone than we saw the previous four after the kind of change to the more man-to-man style to try and help the lack of a pass rush. They, they tried. Um, it was just the going back, and it was this little bit of the stubbornness to, like, call the scheme um, no matter the personnel, and that just isn't going to work. Um, I do think he would have success in either Chicago or Jacksonville. I think they both have the building blocks to have that pass rush already. He would definitely need to get some DBs in Chicago if that one's going to work out. They have a really bad secondary over there. Jacksonville has the building blocks. Um, It's almost a restart on offense in Jacksonville, though, so I don't know if I would hire a defensive head coach in Jacksonville when you're going to have to have a guy come in and just revamp that entire room, that entire side of the ball. Um, so I don't know if I'm Jacksonville, if Fluce is the guy that I would hire. I think he makes a lot of sense in Chicago. I do. I, I think his mentality and his mindset could fix that defense faster than other people probably could. Um, it, the big thing would be who he would bring in as an offensive coordinator. Um, I know one of the other finalists is Frazier, um, the defensive coordinator for Buffalo. If I was hiring in Chicago, Frazier would probably get the nod just because he's developed a staff before. Um, he's he's hired his own staff. Fluce hasn't done that, and that's going to be huge for a defensive coach going to a young quarterback. And the Bears probably saw Frazier a lot when he was in Minnesota. You know, y'all got a close look at what he was doing two times a year, so that makes perfect sense. Um, as far as the Eberflus thing go, and I'm going to make this pretty quick because y'all hit on a lot of the points, and I'm getting pretty pissed with y'all hitting on a lot of my great points before I get a chance to say them. I'll go last next time. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't have much to say about Marcus, Marcus Brady. But um, Matt Eberflus, man, he had a Matt Eberflus year. Uh, statistically as a whole, it's going to look good. You know, it's going to it's gonna be another top 10 defense uh, right outside the top 10, you know, as far as different things like DVOA and, and, and EPA, you know, but you have to look deeper to really analyze what's going on. And if you're not watching the game and you're just looking at counting stats as far as total rush yards and total pass yards, you just really won't get a grasp of what we're experiencing with Matt Eberflus, which I think a lot of teams are going to see that once he becomes a head coach. But for him to start the season pretty much the way he, the season ended for us last year, um, same type of zone coverage. Uh, it looked like they didn't work on anything the offseason. And it's not a cover two. I know that's a lot of things that people say we play a soft cover two. It's not a cover two. Uh, we, we run cover two sometimes, but we play a lot more cover three than we do uh, cover two. So it's just a soft zone period, no matter which variation of it that we're yeah. running. The cornerbacks are playing off coverage. Nine, not, 10 yards off. Yeah. And, and it, it's it, it got repetitive to the point where Frank Wright had to step in, like Mike said. But my problem is, is when you're a head coach, you got to be able to, a head coach or a defensive coordinator, you have to be able to spot these things yourself. 
somebody shouldn't have to pull you to the side and, and talk to you about your, your coverages. You should be able to recognize, hey, this is not working. And that's what I, that's my biggest problem with Eva Flus. It's his ability to adjust and go away from what his comfort zone is. And part of being a good defensive coordinator or, or coach of any sort is sometimes you have to go outside of your comfort zone to accommodate the players that you have. You know, you can't just take a scheme and force this scheme on the players if you don't have the players for the scheme. You have to tweak it a little bit. You know, you got to do some things different. We don't send pressure. We don't blitz a lot, of course. We rely on our front four. And our front four, let's let's be blunt about it. It was terrible this year. Terrible. As far as pass rush. It was terrible. You know, um, you have to do different things in order to get to create pressure. And that that's on you how you decide to generate it. But you have to get it done. It's not an excuse. You can't say, well, I just don't have the player, so we're just going to suck at it. No, you have to get creative. You have to do different things. And there's different ways to generate pressure. And you have to find those ways. You just didn't do that. Um, as far as the cornerbacks, like I said, once you switch to a more man, we saw more stickier coverage. We saw more pass breakups. And it's just like you went away from it for no reason. I can understand if you had a game where you was getting consistently beat over the top. It just wasn't that, man. And, and I don't understand why you went away from it. Probably the team that had the most success down the stretch against us passing wide was Tampa Bay, which they they didn't have that much success. Tom Brady, those guys did a great job on Mike Evans and, and Chris Godwin. And then you decide to switch it. I, I, I just don't get why you reverted back to your old ways. But, hey, man, they say what? That's what a guy always does. You know, they go yeah. back to what they know and they revert back to their fundamentals. And even Flutes gets a, a C for me, a C, C plus, whatever. We're going to highlight a, a couple of position coaches here, guys. James Rowe for me, A plus all the way. You revived Rocky Sin's career. Isaiah Rogers emerged. Kenny Moore became a pro bowler under you. And Xavier Rhodes, I know Destin was big on, you know, he was down on him. He said he would not be good this year. And he turned in, I think, an okay, good uh, season. It was a rough, what, first three, four games for him. But after that, he just started calming down a little bit, got better a little bit. Uh, he gets an A-plus from me. Brian, ba- Brian Baker, get the fuck out of here. Um, Dave you, mean, Berganzi, you mean James Rowe gets a- an A-plus? James Rowe gets an A-plus. If, first of Xavier I, Rose. It sounded like you said Xavier Rose got an A plus. And I, and no, I was I like, mean, I was I, like, man, I that was on James Rowe. James Rowe. Uh, Dave I, Berganzi, I got you. I got you. Dave Berganzi gets an A plus for me. Darius Leonard, Bobby Okariki, developing through the year, becoming a leader. EJ Speeds, Zaire Franklin took big steps forward. That's all I'm going to say. That's a great, great room. Great. Yeah, I mean, I I think we have a lot of solid positional coaches in place. I mean, we're, we're seeing guys getting off to coordinator job offers, um, not offers interviews. Um, Scott Montgomery, the running back coach um, and Mike grow the receivers coach, both interviewing in Carolina um, for their offensive coordinator job. We'll see if either of them end up leaving. I mean, the staff, the staff is good. It's in place. Um, I mean, Marcus Brady, first year as an officer coordinator, it's hard to really talk about him much just because you don't know what all he was involved with, what all he was in charge of. But we saw Nick Sirianni get a head coaching job um, being the officer coordinator of this system. So, I mean, Marcus Brady, I, I didn't see a reason. I thought he was poor this year by any means. I mean, people – we're demanding Frank Reich to give over play calling to a guy that's never called plays uh, this year. Um, but I mean, fans will be fans. Um, I mean, as a whole, I think the coaching staff, we have a lot of guys in the right place. It, it, from what Ballard said, it sounded like Brian Baker probably won't be back. So we'll be looking for a defensive lines coach either way. Um, 
I know a guy. <laughs> you know, you know a guy. Yeah, I think there's like a there's an okay guy. I mean, yeah. out in L.A. You know, for the not Rams, Rashad, Rashad, your brother or not, he ain't coming to Indianapolis to do the same job. Well, it's like bumping pay, man. You know, not man, not like if, I, if, that, I, if, if if I'm your brother. If I'm your brother, I am not leaving the Rams defensive line, even for a slight pay raise to come to the Indianapolis defensive line. I mean, that's just me. Hell, if they make him defensive coordinator and defensive line, then. Oh, no, that's, that's a, a no-brainer. That's, that's a no-brainer. That's a no. That's, that's a, a lot, yeah, that's man. A but anyways. That's what I'm saying. That's a big job change. That's an upgrade. Yeah, so that, that right. makes sense. I'm just yeah. saying for the same job. I love I love you. I love your brother. I got a Come number. here if you want. Come here I got if a, you want. I got a number. If Chris Balligan hit this number, uh, uh, we'll oh Frank, right? no, no, I got no. a number. Let, let, let's not mention <laughs> Ballard in numbers, okay? We're about to get into that here, guys. Uh, okay. This is going to be the we're heading into the last segment. And just by the way, if you haven't, um, you know, happened to watch Chris Ballard's end of the year press conference, I did write an article, three takeaways. From Chris Ballard's article, make sure to read that article down below in the description. We also have, you know, we mentioned earlier, Matt Eberflus, uh, the finalist for two head coaching jobs. Is If he happens to leave, our writers, Mason and Zach, came together and wrote an article on candidates who could possibly take over. That link is going to be in the description below as well. So give us a like, comment, subscription, thumbs up, everything that we could uh, have. Thank you guys for listening. The final segment, we're going to talk about these executives, okay? Starting with Morocco Brown and Ed Dobbs. These guys are getting general manager interviews. Morocco Brown, the director of college scouting, and Ed Dobbs, the assistant GM. Now, if, I, if I'm correct on this, I'll say uh, Ed Dobbs' job during the offseason is to really help guide some of the scouting that, you know, Ballard is not capable to keep up with because he's – just talking with agents, free agents of or agents of free agents, talking, getting with Mike Bloom over the salary cap, all that stuff, getting with their own players who are still in the facility. That is Ed, Ed Dodds's job, and he does an amazing job at it. Morocco Brown, the director of college scouting, he is in, in charge of placing these scouts in the area where they need to go, sending them down to HBCUs that no one, you know, thinks to go to. No one thinks to go to Grambling, Prairie View, Tarleton State, where they found EJ Speed, uh, going to South Carolina State, where they found Darius Leonard. So I think those are those two guys' jobs. They do a great job at it. If Morocco Brown does get a general manager job because of this Rooney rule that the NFL updated last season, the Colts are going to get two third-round picks, one this year in the 2022 NFL Draft and one next year in the 2023 NFL Draft. Ed Dodds withdrew his name from the Chicago Bears. Morocco Brown is still in the running for that job, so that's really all I have for those two guys. Destin, Rashad, do you all have anything on these guys? Rashad, I'll let you go second. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, we can start with, we can start with Ed Dodds. Uh, super overly qualified for a, a GM position, uh, you know, with, with a guy that's that great at his job, you know, it's only a matter of time before he gets an opportunity, but he's in so high regard, he's able to carefully pick his spots, you know, and we heard about him withdrawing from the, the Chicago Bears job. And I think whenever he decides to move, it's going to be a great landing spot. He's going to carefully pick his, pick his spot, similar to what Chris Ballard did. 
you know, and take, take the opportunity that he feel like is, is right for him. Uh, Morocco Brown, love everything he stands for. Um, guys from Virginia, graduated from um, NC State, uh, been a scout for a long time and been a damn good one. Um, you see the track record that the Colts have as far in their scouting department, the type of players that they that they've picked up. Hopefully, you know, he finds an ideal situation. I didn't think Mar- Morocco would be moving so soon. You know, I, I knew it was any day with Ed Dodds. Any year, it could be Ed Dodds can be out of here because he deserves that. Uh, Morocco Brown, not saying he didn't deserve it. I just didn't see it coming as fast. And, and kudos to him, man, because he works his ass off. So I definitely think he deserves it. And I, I'm just excited to see where he lands up, man. I'm, I'm happy he's getting the opportunity. Hopefully, one of these teams fall in love with him and give him a shot, man. As much as I would love to see those guys stay with the Indianapolis organization, I know it's much bigger opportunities for those guys, and they're going to kill it wherever they, wherever they land. Yeah, I mean, Ed Dobbs taking his name out of Chicago. Um, the only other place I believe he's interviewing is, is Vegas, correct, currently? Vegas, yep. See, Vegas' owner has always been a guy who uh, he likes to put his two cents in a lot. I don't see that being a place Dobbs goes. I mean, I feel like that's what Dobbs is waiting out for, where he has nearly full control uh, of what, what's going on. He wants to be able to put everybody in place. He wants to be able to have full reign on the roster, um, coaching staffs, et cetera. Um, I thought Chicago made sense um, if, if of the two. Um, I can't see him taking the Vegas job. So if I were putting my money on something, I'd say that Dobbs is back this year. Um, I know Tom oh. Pelissero, if I'm just saying, if I put my money on something, it just doesn't make sense to me of all the jobs he's turned down over the years because he's trying to wait for the right spot. I don't see Vegas where they just fired a GM very quickly um, for not meeting their expectations and all that stuff. I mean, I think you wait. That first job is important. Like you, you need to land a spot with good security, good roster, good just a good setup. I just don't think that's it for him right now. Morocco Brown, I mean, Tom Palacero reported that the Bears were really high on him. I think the Colts did this to themselves. They, they do this, uh, that draft show um, after the draft every year where they highlight all the scouts and front office members, um, hard knocks this year. They're, they're just giving all these guys public eye. And Morocco Brown's going to get stolen too early because of it. Because Morocco Brown's a stud, man. Morocco Brown knows his stuff. Um, He makes this football team a better football team. If you lose Morocco Brown, it is a bigger hole than two third-round picks. It is. Now, would I like the two third-round picks? Yeah, I would. Hell yeah. (laughs) Uh, Don't get me wrong. And Um, we could use Morocco Brown scouting to get the the other guy. I'm just saying, Morocco Brown, man, he – he's a solid dude. And if he ends up getting that Chicago job power to him. Um, but I mean, we, we know what the front office is. One of the best in the league, um, multiple guys getting interviews, multiple staff members getting interviews elsewhere. Um, the Colts are doing it right, whether people like it or not. So last thing here, before we get out of here, guys, for this episode, once again, if you're, if you haven't already like comment, subscribe to the blue stable YouTube channel, Chris Ballard, Let's talk about it. His grade I'm going to give him this year is probably a C minus. I can't. I, I, I have to hold him accountable for how this season happened. Yes, Carson Wentz was a failure. Yes, Frank Reich, you know, he's in charge of Carson Wentz, in charge of the offense, in charge of how it performs. Chris Ballard fielded this team. He fielded this team. 
I listen, I've listened to his end of year press conference about six times, six times, making sure what I'm hearing is what I'm hearing instead of I want to hear what I want to hear. <sighs> Chris Ballard prides himself and he even he even mentioned it in the press conference. One thing I will not change on is the O-line D-line. I still believe you win the game up front. Let's talk about the game up front, Chris, because on the offensive line, I think you did a good I think you did a good job. I think you did. Okay. I think he, he really did a good job. But going with your guy, Eric Fisher, after an Achilles injury, while Charles Leno with agent was practically begging you with the knowledge that we have, begging you for a contract. And you went with a guy you knew most likely wouldn't be able to play up to your standards because in the press conference, you just highlighted, oh, well, look, Eric Fisher had an Achilles and, you know, he didn't do some things right. You knew that already, Chris. So why did you go with it? The defense. You pride yourself on the defense. Right. So bringing in, bringing in Isaac Rochelle, is sending you a wave. R- regard take take all of my feelings out of it, Destin. You know damn well Isaac Rochelle is now never going to be a part of an eight man rotation on a Super Bowl roster. You know that in the deep down in the bottom of your soul, you know he ain't that. He's probably going to be number nine or a healthy scratch, but he ain't going to be a part of a seven eight man wave on a Super Bowl roster. So you mean to tell me you brought back Al Qadeen Muhammad? to be your starter, but you knew that wouldn't be good enough. I'm not going to mention Quiddy and Dio Isaac, because we Isaac already – Isaac Rochelle would be a top eight man on a defensive line No, group no, he, no, stop, stop, stop. You're lying to yourself. Two-thirds of the league. You're lying to yourself, two, stop. Two-thirds of the no, league. No, no, he would At the Rams. No, no he would no, <laughs> There's a third. A third of them stay off the list. Bro, not God. the Buccaneers, not the Rams, not the Colts. I mean, the Colts hey, because Ballard freaking signed him. Real but quick, anyways, real quick, anyways, real, anyways, just real anyways. Quick, just real quick. You, so I don't I get to finish like, my thought? You will. It's just this, you're you're going off Isaac Rochelle and what I'm saying is about him. I just feel like your anger is in the wrong place. Why of all the people to be upset with? Why are you upset with the fourth like the fourth rotational I'm, run I'm, stopping? I'm, I'm getting lineman? I'm getting into yeah. that. I'm get, I'm talking about the decision to bring him on, knowing the staff, no, knowing the line. He was that fine. you were gonna feel Michael's a hater. That you were, I'm not a hater. He didn't do anything for this team. So, anyways, I mean, I, I didn't see him making game winning plays. I didn't see him getting game changing pressures, drive ending pressure. I didn't see any of that. I just watched every. I just watched 12 games again this week. I didn't see more any of that. Plays so, than so any get anyway. Oh, I mean, we. If Matt Eberflus leaves, we'll get into that. Okay, well, we'll get into that. That doesn't hurt me the way you think it does, Destin. I'm just. I, I, I will let guys, I promise if Eberflus leaves, we'll give you the story on that. But my problem is with Ballard. He keeps on saying, I pride myself, pride myself, pride myself. But in the press conference, he was already making excuses. He was already making excuses. So you fielded this defensive line knowing it wouldn't be good enough. You brought in Eric Fisher knowing that he wasn't going to be that guy. And Charles Leno literally just put up a top seven left tackle year. That's what he just did. You could have had that. His agent was begging you for a contract. So 
you didn't do anything to the receiver room and then had the gall to go in front of the media and, and mention Mike Strawn, Desmond Patman, Paris Campbell. What have uh, I got all love to Paris Campbell? He can't stay healthy. And that's all you need to know. Desmond Patman, Mike Strawn, they combined for what? Two catches this year? And you're mentioning them in the same breath as upgrading the wide receiver room? My problem is with Chris Ballard, and I and I mentioned it. He's almost on my hot seat, and I honestly think after all we've heard from Jim Irsay, he's on the hot seat. He, he has to be. You cannot. I'm not going to blame him for the quarterback. But, man, do something about this defensive line. Do something about this defensive line. You can't pride yourself so much in the defensive line and think throwing out Al-Kadeen Muhammad, two rookies, one of them's on IR, Grover Stewart, who doesn't pass rush, Taylor Stallworth, Antoine Woods, Isaac Rochelle is going to get you far. I'll say this. The only way Chris Ballard's seat is hot is if he paid the intern to warm it up for him. Well, I mean, here, here's the thing, though. Five years, no division championship, and he even said 17, he'll, he'll discredit that, so let's discredit it. But still. I mean, and I get one it. One playoff I do. win, it, it, some, that has to matter, though, Destin. I agree. Now, how how it, legitimately it hot is it? I won't go down that route, but I think it just has to be warm at least. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I just don't see a way you fire a guy who around the league is known to be one of the best at his craft. I mean, I get – I, if I had to give him a grade, since you're going the grading scale, I'd probably go like a B. Um, we still didn't win the AFC South. We didn't get in the playoffs. Um, he went out and fixed one of the worst areas on the roster in the offensive line depth. Um, it's just not. It's just a non-problem now. Um, there's still issues. The receiver room has to be touched. I wouldn't say he didn't do anything to the um, to the edge room. I mean, he drafted his top two draft picks for both defensive linemen. Now he didn't get free agents to come here. He lost some guys. Um, we're not in. We're not in. We're not in all those negotiations. Um, he did bring in the great Isaac Rochelle, though, um, who, who just <laughs> the great wall of Rochelle. Right? I, honestly, I'm not even like the biggest Rochelle guy. I just think it's really funny um, when people like Colts fans I mean, get so caught up on him because like he's just a depth run stopper. Like, he's he's fine at what he does. It, it's just like I can't imagine getting upset about like. Man, I can't. I wish the Colts receiver four was better. Like you know, like I just, I just can't get into that mindset um, with Isaac Rochelle. He's a fine fourth run stopper on the line for he, a rebuilding have, team. Yes, he's fine. Like he can play on a lot of NFL teams. He'll get a job next Destin, year. Destin, how much do you want to bet? No contender is signing Isaac Rochelle this offseason. How much you want to bet? The top ten teams in the league are not signing Isaac Rochelle. I'll do I, you one better. I, I, I'm not going to predict I'll, where no, he goes. No, no, I'll do you one better. Top fifteen. Top, top 15, 15 teams. Top, top 15 teams. None of them will touch Rochelle. He's going to go wherever the, wherever more, the most money is, I'm That's assuming. It. So, like, top I don't know where he goes. 15 teams. Let's make a bet on it right now. None uh, of hey, them Michael, are touching Rochelle's. Michael, They're not you, even going to call his agent. Michael, you know right now That's that we, that we don't make it. bets. No, I, no, no, I don't want to hear nothing. Isaac Rochelle. We're talking about Isaac Rochelle. Isaac yeah, Rochelle is the top. This is a lot of talk for a guy who is like, it just. It's Isaac Rochelle. Like he's fine. Like he's not like a big name. Like why? Why is this so much conversation going into Isaac Rochelle? You're running away from the point, Dustin. He's not going to be a guy uh, on a wave that Chris Ballard likes to mention. A wave that has to attack the quarterback. He's just not going to be that guy. 
That's my like, point. I feel like this conversation is gonna go nowhere. Rashad, oh yeah, so we're going to start. I, I give, I give, Chris, bit, I give Chris Ballard a B. I think he's still one of the best at what he does. Rashad. He's fine. Um, let's see what this offseason brings. Jump the hell into free agency too, dude. Come on now. That's how teams win Super Bowls. Anyways, Rashad, get in. Um, I have to knock him. Um, right off the back, I have to knock him for what, what he did with the pass rush or lack thereof. What he did with the pass rush, relying on two young guys. I know you double dipped in the draft, but relying on two young guys, one who's coming off of a serious Achilles injury. You know, it was just, it's just negligence, you know, like you just neglected the position totally. Uh, wide receiver, not finding a compliment to Michael Pittman or at what we thought would be a wide receiver one at the time that we needed because we didn't, we, we was unaware of Pittman's development which you banked on it and that paid off for you, but you still need to find him a compliment. So I, I knock you a little bit for that. But one thing you did say in your exit interview last year was that you was responsible for the lack of depth on the offensive line and you prioritized that this, this go around and, and you did it. And I, I have to commend you for it because we saw guys like Matt Pryor, Chris Reed come in, uh, Danny Pinter s- stepped in and played well all those guys played well um, it's chris ballard man chris ballard is one of the best drafting drafting guys you know in the nfl he's drafted multiple all pros guys that's potential hall of famer so i mean what are we doing here um i know mike says the seeds getting he's warm. got he's got two guys with gm um offers this, this yeah. season two guys interviewing right now you know how do you know how you talk about guys? So off so you think coaches, so you think an true? hour and a half conversation went by between him, Frank Reich, and Jim Mercy without Jim Mercy stressing the fact we need to get things turned around or else. You think that uh, an hour and a half went by without those comments from Mercy? I don't know. Jim Mercy speaks highly of both of them. I think he knows he, what he has in those guys. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I mean, Jim Mercy was pissed. We were all pissed. And, and that conversation came right after the game. I bet Mercy could have said a lot of things. Knowing Jim Mercy and how sporadic he is, I would never bet he wouldn't say a lot of things. <laughs> I'm sure a lot of things have came out of that guy's mouth. Yeah. Uh, but I'm just, I'm just not that worried. Like Of all the places where the Colts have to get better this offseason, I, I, I don't even put a thought. At Chris Ballard, like he's fine. Like he he now, is what on. he okay. is. He's he's so, a great GM. It's gonna be all right. So look, standing right now, I'm putting him on the hot seat because he doesn't use free agency to upgrade the roster, and I think that's just a recipe for not winning. All Super Bowl teams upgrade their roster in the free agency, so that's my that's my thing. You I get have it. to use that. Hey, I get uh, it. I think there are places he could be better. Guys, we'll see how I am not legitimately goes. saying fire Chris Ballard. I'm not saying that at all. Oh, so that's so that's what the headline for the YouTube is going to be. Come on now, dude! Fire Chris Fi- Ballard. Fire, Come on now. fire Chris Ballard. Hey, he how said much, it. How, we, how we, much we you want to bet? We're, how much you want to bet? We're going to have a hundred thousand views on this thing. Yeah, Everybody's going to hate us, right? <laughs> <laughs> but they're going to know us as well. <laughs> that's a fact. That's but a fact. anyways, guys, that is going to do it for this episode of the Blue Stable, guys. We're going to have more and more stuff coming out to you guys make sure to go over to our website that is going to be in the description below going to the blue stable checking out our articles checking out our staff everything that we got going on for you guys this is going to be a big off season i know i got some article ideas that i'm going to throw at you guys so once again shout out to fansided for allowing us to be the official colts podcast of you guys of course fansided so other than that here's rashad mcginnis he is 
Isaac Rochelle loving Dustin Adams. And I am Michael Pivia. Okay, so guys, I love you guys. Again, we love you. We'll see you next week. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.